0: You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast, making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, as you know, and uh, I just thought I'd title this message Sanctity of Human Life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you and we bless you and we honor you and we honor your word today, your holy word. Lord, we ask you to touch our hearts, pierce our hearts, change our hearts, mold our hearts and fashion our hearts that we might be the people that you want us to be, that we would not be selfish, self-centered, thinking about our own selves and our own little world, but that we would glorify your name in all that we do. And Lord, as we talk about this very important subject today, we pray that our hearts will melt before you. In Jesus' name, amen. What does the word sanctity mean? in the dictionary, according to the dictionary, is the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly of ultimate importance, inviolable. And inviolable means prohibiting violation, secure from destruction, violence, Infringement or desecration. So it's something that's set aside as a holy, sacred, all important thing, an ultimate of ultimate importance. So when we talk about the sanctity of life, we're talking about God uh, ordaining life, giving life, breathing life into man, and that is a sacred thing. God created and made We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 and it says there and God said let us make man in our own in our image excuse me after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, and all, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And they were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to procreate. They were to uh, populate the earth after their kind. Well, they were to uh, reproduce. So all human life, and I know that I'm preaching to the choir a little bit when I say this this morning, but all human life comes from God. And there are a lot of people in the world who are trying to move away from that to say that all human life came from just matter, uh, that you know, non-living uh, things became living cells, and we evolved to where we're at. Uh, but all human life comes from the Lord. And that is why all human beings are inviolable. Prohibiting violation. You can't violate something that God has set aside and called holy or good. Prohibiting violation. Secure from destruction. They should not be able to be destroyed. Secure from violence. Secure from infringement. We have certain unalienable rights given to us by God. So those rights cannot be infringed upon. Or desecration. Secure from desecration. So every life is precious to God. Every life is a creation of God. In Psalm 139... Verses 13 through 16, we'll read there. For thou, hast excuse, possessed, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The NIV says it in a little clearer way for us. Uh, which I don't have it on the screen, but those of you who are reading NIV uh, can read that along. But that says in the NIV, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My my inmost being, it wasn't, uh, not only did he create our physical bodies or create us to have a physical body, but he created us as a spirit being. That spirit being comes into existence at that very moment of conception. We become his uh, creation, and we have a spirit, body, and a soul. And so, uh, he created uh, you, and he created me. People say, well, no, no, no. God didn't create us. My mother and my father got together, blah, 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 blah and that's how I came right. That still is a creation of God. When, you, when we were conceived that was a creation of God. God brought that together. That doesn't happen without God. I'll say that again. That coming of the of the sperm and the egg together and and becoming a living being right at that point in time, only God can do that. That's that's God's That's why from that very moment God says the sanctity of that thing, or the holiness of that thing, the the goodness and the virtue of that thing is to be honored and cherished always. And he created each of us with a plan and a purpose for every one of us. We could go right down and say everybody's name, and say that God has a purpose for you. And God had a purpose for you Right at that point in time that I spoke about just a second ago. Right then and there, he had a purpose and a plan for you. And we're trying to find out as we go along what his purpose and plan is for us on a daily basis. But we have found out already, those of us who are Christians, have found out already that our purpose was to glorify him. He's made that known to us. And uh, so the psalm, goes on and it says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all thy all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. When as yet, there was none of them. So, God fashions and molds and shapes the individual right from the womb. And this is what the psalmist is declaring. And this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in front of us. The Bible, the Holy Word of God, inspired, God breathed upon man. And so David is declaring something here that is true of every one of us that we have a purpose. And it just, you know, we're talking about abortion today, and, and as we go on, you know, I want you to think about that. That you have a purpose, and your neighbor has a purpose. And your children have a purpose. And your spouse has a purpose. And 60 million babies were not able to be born to fulfill their purpose for which God created them. That should just cause our heads to just spin. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, God's calling Jeremiah to be a prophet. And Jeremiah doesn't just go without a little bit of kicking and fussing because he says he's not not adequate for the job, right? But then the Lord speaks to him. It says uh, in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So it is God who forms us in the womb. He told Jeremiah that specifically. I formed you in the womb. I'm the one who brought you out of that womb. And I'm the one who sanctified your life and sanctified you for the purposes for which I have ordained you for. Now, all of us may not be ordained as a, uh, as a prophet, that may not be God's calling for us from, from birth, but trust me, he has a purpose for you. And you have purpose in this world. Sometimes you may not feel like that, but you need to remind yourself. I need to remind myself. God has a purpose for me. Amen. That's why he didn't let me die personally in 2010, but he helped me to get through all that mess. And uh, I'm still here. And I'm still planning on being here for a while. As a matter of fact, I'm feeling better every day. <laughs> feel like that guy in that movie. What was that movie? Uh, the guy was born old. and <laughs> He became young, I guess, as time went on. Uh, hopefully, claim that, will you, Mary, for me? I said, claim that, that I'm getting younger as time goes on. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm claiming that. Hallelujah. So it is God who forms us in the womb, and it is for God's purposes and God's good pleasure that you and I were made. It's not just all about us. And that's what we have to relearn from the time that we're children. Uh, You know, we grow up in a world that just everything's about us. I mean, just as soon as we're waddling, uh, you know, just toddling or whatever around. We want this, we want that. We grab this, we grab that. We take things out of other kids' hands. Because it's mine, mine. And that's one of those early words that kids learn. Mine. You know, and we, we grow up with that kind of thing in this society that does the same thing. Mine, mine. I want mine. I don't care about you, I want mine. And we're not created to be that way, we're created to glorify God and to fulfill his uh, desires for us. So Revelation 4.11 says that specifically where John the Apostle writes and he says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. For, for thy pleasure They are, they exist for your pleasure. That's why you created them. So you need to think about that for yourself, and then you need to think about it for other people. God created them, and they have a certain disposition, they have a certain uh, characteristics uh, about them that makes them unique from anybody else in, in the world. Just like a snowflake, right? They say that there are no two that are the same or whatever. Uh, you're you're pretty much like that very unique this is why Christians everywhere should take a firm stand on protecting children from being put to death before they can fulfill God's purpose and design for them it's that should be something that, is, is on the forefront of our mind. I, Mary and I were praying on the way here, praying in the Holy Ghost and just praying for churches. We're going down 275, and, and as we were praying, I said, I said, Lord, we go through this life day after day after day not even thinking about these 60 million babies. And I'm talking about us pro-life people who we do, we're mindful of it, but we're not that mindful of it. We go about our business from day to day while well, thousands are being killed and second by second by second by second by moment by moment, they're being slain. They're being killed. And so I don't know about you, I, I, I consider myself very pro-life. But I'm not thinking like that all the time that, oh my, because that would bring a burden on me. Maybe I need a burden. Maybe the, maybe the church needs to be burdened about that. Because it was the church's fault that abortion ever became legal in this world, in our country. It was the church's fault. The church was sleeping at the, at the job. And uh, although there were, there were many Christians who were fighting the fight right off the get-go and trying to warn the rest of Christianity and the rest of the church, hey, if we don't get busy about this right now, we're going to have to deal with this in another way uh, down the pike. And here we are. <clears throat> And yet, this should be that, that much on all of our minds. And I'm not just saying that we're plagued from day to day and we can't function and do our normal things, but, I mean, how many times even in a day do you even think that maybe kids are being slaughtered in a, in a fortune mill? We just, we're, we're not that conscious of it. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> and yet, there, this thing is so important and I believe it touches the heart of God more than us. So many other things. We can gibber and jabber about this and about that and complain about this and complain about that. But I believe the heart of God, when he looks down on the earth, and especially our country right here, I believe his heart is broken. We sing a song, break my heart, Lord, for the things that break your heart. For the most part, the church is silent. Silent on this issue. The stats and the data are all there to prove that most ministers never preach a sermon about abortion. As a matter of fact, many of them will not even mention the word from their pulpit. They're afraid of offending somebody. Afraid of Somebody leaving the church over what they've said. They say they don't want to bring politics into the church. Since when is the sanctity of a human being, since when is the sanctity of human life ever a political issue? It's not a political issue at all. And that stinking thinking has been put into the minds of people, and that's the way it's gone. The, the whole debate goes about it that way. The, le- the left wants this, and the right wants that. And it all becomes a political thing. And in the middle of all of that, God is, God's heart is breaking, and he's saying, no, this is my issue. The only ones who have made it political is the secularist, a humanist, evolutionist, non-believers, and cold Christians. Looking back in history, ministers should be able to know better than the fact that it's not political. And then the silence, to be silent on such issues. In World War II, Hitler's Germany was not just about politics or geopolitical things. It was about humanity. Humanity. Oh, no, it wasn't about humanity. It was about them, their Jews. (laughs) Humanity. And that's why the sanctity of human life in our brains and in our minds and in our hearts ought to be valued so high that it doesn't make any difference if it's a Jew or a Gentile if it's a homosexual or a straight person. It doesn't matter. They're people. They're human beings that God created and that God loves. The Civil War between the North and the South over slavery, just in our country right here, was not just about politics. People want to make it about politics. It was not about politics. It was about humanity. And for ministers to say, I don't want to talk about this in the church, it was the strong, clarion voice of gospel ministers that led the way to the reversal of such a crime against humanity. Namely, our black brothers and sisters. That wasn't politics, folks. That was being preached from those pulpits. And nobody in their day even attempted to accuse a pastor of bringing politics into the church. They knew that their hearts needed to be stirred up. They knew that somebody needed to lead the way. That somebody had to stand up and say, this is wrong. And to try to encourage their people to get behind those things that would change that situation. So I want to do that for our church, as long as I'm preaching. And who knows how long that may be. <laughs> but I'm going to preach until this guy breathes his last breath, and I'm not moving away from God's Word. This is what God said. You know, we have a, a pastor out in California. I don't even know if you heard this one or not. But he put out on his church sign his, uh, his sermon, I guess, for the week or whatever he was going to be preaching on, or maybe just uh, had a sign out there and it said uh, something to the effect, don't quote me on this verbally exactly, but it was something to the effect that Bruce Jenner is still a man. Homosexuality is still sin. Uh, Society can change, or culture can change, but the Bible does not change. That was the truth. And for that truth, People came against him, organized uh, picketers and everything else came against him, and even his own church, and I just pray to God that you get this in your heart. His own church couldn't get behind him. One couple in his whole church Got behind him. He's out on the road looking for a job. Pastored those people, shepherded those people, loved those people. What he put out there may have been offensive, but it was the truth. And that's what we need to stand for, the truth. <clears throat> how did we as a nation, think so, think so. how did we as a nation go from common decency to voting, voting in favor of abortion? Excuse me. (laughs) It didn't happen overnight, church, I can tell you that. It happened little by little, ever so subtly. It was as I said last week in my message, because people were allowing themselves to be shaped into the mold of this world system. When we allow ourselves to be shaped by this world system, you, you need to know one thing. You're not just being shaped by a government. You're not just being shaped by a political party. You're not just being shaped by this organization or that organization. You are being shaped by the devil himself. And he will use policies, and he will use procedures, and he will use governments, and he'll use whatever he can in this world to get the job done. Think of the subtleties that we have uh, succumbed to. In education, I'm going to read to you a little something, a little clip from uh, Bill Federer's uh, American Minute. I think it was this week. Maybe it was the week before, but I jotted it down. And uh, he quotes here the founders of Yale College. We're talking about education now. How do we get where we're at right now? How do we get to the place where we can go in and we can pull a lever and say, yeah, I want to vote for a person who upholds the killing of children? How do we get there? I'm telling you right now how we get there. Education is one of them. It's the big factor. And so he, he's reading some. He's quoting something here from the founders of Yale College. I think it's back in the 1600s or something. Every student shall consider the main end of his study to know God and to know God in Jesus Christ, and answerably to lead a godly, sober life. That was the acceptance, uh, that was the application for entering into Yale back then. You can't hardly speak of Christ on the campus today without without people coming against you. Harvard's Rules and Precepts, quote-unquote. This is from their book of Rules and Precepts. They adopted this in 1646, and it included the following essentials. Everyone shall consider the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Seeing the Lord giveth wisdom, everyone shall seriously, by prayer in secret, seek wisdom of him. Wow. Amazing. Go and preach Christ in Harvard's campus today and see what you'll get. You will get you will get run out of the place. And it goes on and says, Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the Scriptures twice a day that they be ready to give an account of their proficiency therein, both in theoretical observations of languages and logic, and in practical and spiritual truth. And that's just a couple of them, and I could, I could read uh, the, the constitutions or the uh, acceptance agreements of many of the colleges, Dartmouth, all of these card, uh, universities were started by Christian people with the intent of living a godly life, seeking the wisdom of God, not just the wisdom. You know, people talk about seeking wisdom as if science is uh, the one that we're supposed to bow down to. We seek the wisdom of God, and that's what they were commanding them to do. Upon entrance into this university, you must agree that this is what you're going to do. And all of those other major universities had similar wording in their applications for attending those schools. So the problem with education today is that these places of so-called higher learning have lost their fire and their zeal and their passion for holiness and uprightness. You're free to do your thing. Do whatever you want. Whatever feels good to you, that's the right thing to do. And we can, do, we, we can come up and say, okay, the right thing for me is Christianity. Just put a thing right over your mouth. Well, hey, wait a minute. I thought you said we're free to be what we want and free to do what we want. I want to follow after God in His holiness and His righteousness and His word. Well, you can't do that. You would have a hard time promoting anything that bears the name of Christ today in any of those universities. And then Darwin comes along and he promotes an idea. An idea he had. Actually, at the end of his life, he says, I was, I was surprised myself. I, I put this thing out. He says he was surprised to see how many people just jumped, on it in, jumped into it with all fours. He promotes his idea with not one shred of scientific proof behind his theory of evolution. And ever since then, the secularists have been trying to make a monkey out of us. But the Bible says that we were created in the image of God. We read it this morning. We're created in the image and the likeness of God. Think of some other subtleties that brought us. I'm talking about the things that brought us to where we're at. See, a lot of times, you know, I know that some ministers don't want to talk about abortion because of the fear that, Maybe 50% of the women in his church may have had one, or a small percentage maybe have had one. And I understand that. It's not that I lack compassion at all, because there's forgiveness and there's healing for those people. And those people who have not yet come to Christ don't know that healing uh, fact. And, and it needs to be said from the pulpits, because if we just act like it's not happening, then those ladies are still caring about that hurt. But if we address it and we say that God's got, a, God's got forgiveness for you and God's got healing and restoration for you and you don't have to carry that thing around the rest of your life. But those women have been duped. And most of them know it today. They realize that they were duped. And many of them are now pro-life because of that f- fact. Amen. But we have subtleties that, that bring us to a place that we can actually talk ourselves into going and having a baby aborted. Why? Because people lie to us from every angle about what it is. So in the entertainment world, uh, some of you are old enough to remember this, and maybe even some of you young people who ever watched that black and white films on the, on the TV today, you know, the old ones. But some of us remember actually watching them back in that day. And uh, every, every movie... What did you see? What, what did you see in every one of those movies? I don't care what the movie was about. What did you see? I'm talking about back in the 50s, 60s. Is there anybody here that can think of one thing that you saw in all the movies? Because there's not, there's not one other thing that you saw in all the movies. But this one thing you saw in all the movies, can anybody take a guess? just sucking that smoke right down their pipes, man, just like. And I mean, even some of them I've watched lately, you know, uh, we've seen a couple of them clicking through, and, and just like with the biggest inhale. Every scene, there's somebody smoking on a cigarette. And what did it do? It shaped the whole culture. It shaped the whole country. Now, I'm not saying there was no smoking before the TV came around. But what I am saying is they made it look cool. They made it look like, hey, man, if you ain't got one of these in your hand, you ain't cool. And so what happens? All of the young people want to be cool. And it shaped the minds of people to where now, Satan is killing many of them with lung cancer and other diseases in the body. It's amazing. But we, and maybe you never smoked a cigarette in your life, but I'm talking to you today as a pastor of a church in a nation. And we succumbed. We were duped by it. Two or three packs a day. Can I get an amen? Come on, guys. Thank God he's cleansing your lungs up right now uh, (laughs) because you're not doing that anymore. I trust, I hope. How about this one? Remember when it was a big deal in the movie uh, Gone with the Wind? Rhett Butler said to Scarlett O'Hara, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm just quoting somebody here. I don't curse. Do you remember that? Were you old enough to remember the the controversy over that? Boy, oh boy, that was brought on film. And oh, everybody just, oh man, you can't do that. You can't talk like that on, on a movie. There was a lot of controversy over it. But all the controversy eventually went away. And once again, Satan has shaped us into his mold. Amazing. Little by little, the entertainment world has moved us to such filth and pornography uh, and every form of indecency imaginable. Someone is shaping us into his mold. And again, I hope that I'm not talking to anybody here that is into any of that kind of stuff because we know that there are statistics out there that, that say that even church going men are and and women are viewing pornography. How do you get there? You get there little by little. You get there little by little. So those are some of the ways that that we're being changed and fashioned in our in our society. And we we may kick against it a little bit at first because, well, no, this is a new thing and we don't do that. And, uh, you know, no. It's not traditional. You know, It's not about tradition. It's about right and wrong. And so we resist a little bit and then finally we give in. We have endangered species that we protect, but there's no protection for those little precious lives. The Endangered Species Act was signed into law by President Richard Nixon at the same time abortion was becoming the law of our land. Think about that. And I know that we love animals. They're God's creation as well. But I still think that God's heart breaks more for what we're doing to our own kind than what's happening to animals or bugs or plants. You can be fined up to $100,000 and a a year in jail for for damaging or touching or destroying uh, one of those endangered species. But no jail time for babies. No jail time attached to babies at all unless it's a rescue. And those who are doing the rescuing, they get thrown in jail. <clears throat> why should God hold, withhold his judgment on America? I want to ask that question right now. Why should he withhold his judgment on this nation right now? Just over, this one, just over this one issue. There are plenty of other issues, I know that. But over this one issue, why would he not bring judgment upon us as a land? When we as a nation have voted for politicians who have sworn that they will uphold and promote abortion no matter what. I mean, they come out and say that. You know where they stand. You know, everybody says, ah, politicians, they all lie, they all lie. Okay, but when they tell you the truth every now and then, you might want to believe that because the proof is in the pudding. Every time a bill comes up that has to do with that, they're all in favor of it. I didn't I haven't been watching a lot of news lately, maybe two hours total in the past couple of weeks. But I do remember seeing lately that there was a, a Democrat who's I think running for an office or doing something on a committee or whatever, and he and he said that he was pro life. And they, boy, they gave him a harassing man. We need a few Democrats that rise up and say that they're pro-life. We, yeah, we need a few people that would say, you know what? This is wrong. This is dead wrong. I'm not going to vote for that. And if you can vote for people who would be of that kind of a mindset. But we don't see that today. <clears throat> so how do we get there? How did we get to this place doing this over 60 million babies being slaughtered in our country thrown in the dumpsters like a piece of trash we've been lied to in the past and women have been exploited by those lies they were told that what was inside of them was only a blob of tissue you ever heard that just a blob of tissue you know and and even I've heard testimonies. Women have poured their heart out to me and in counseling with me and Mary uh, over the years uh, who have even said at the point of being at the abortion clinic they said, they got a queasiness. And they they said, I don't think, I don't think, come on dear, come on. And they were just talked right in, right on into the uh, to the, uh, what do you call the thing where they lay them down? Gurney or whatever. Uh, Oh no, no, no. Come on, come on. Oh, it, it's that don't worry about it. It's just a blob of tissue. We're just like removing a tumor out of your body. And talked them into going in there. One in particular, kicking and screaming, and said, no, I don't want this. They sedated her and did it in. Well, today we know differently. We, we knew it intrinsically back then. We knew it in our heart back then that it, something's not right about this whole thing. Something's not right. But we know it today by scientific fact, and that's what those folks like to lean on so many times. They say "There's scientific proof. The, the earth is burning up tomorrow. You know, we've got to get this fixed next week, so throw us a bunch of money so we can fix the world. There's a heartbeat within 18 days of gestation. 18 days of that sperm and that egg coming together. And God says, I have ordained you. In 18 days, they can detect that now. Because of the technology of ultrasound today, we are also able to prove that that child feels pain. That child feels every bit of pain while the abortionist chops his little body up. You ever seen the movie Silent Scream? If you haven't, look it up on YouTube. I'm, I'm sure it's out there. Silent Scream. It's an actual abortion. And it's showing the, the uh, instruments going into the mother's belly, gouging out that baby and pulling it apart some of you might not want to watch it just because you just couldn't stand to see something like that but it shows it and every time that that thing goes in to grab that baby that baby goes like that every time so there's no you know we, they can't claim it's just a blob of tissue this and that there's a heartbeat there and where there's a heartbeat there's a child amen amen how can you say, how can you and I sit by and act like this really isn't going on when we know that over, 70, over 60 million babies have already been slaughtered? It's a fast approaching 61 million, 61 million children. <clears throat> and I know that some people get offended when we use the word even slaughter. I've even heard some Christians say, well, you shouldn't say slaughter." Hello? What would you call it? What, what would you call uh, lynching? What would you call lynching back in the 1800s? Oh, a necktie around the, rope, around the neck? No. It is what it is. It's, it's a slaughtering of a child not just putting them to death, but it's a slaughtering. They pull those babies apart. And so people get a little queasy when someone like me is outspoken and talks about it in a way that it really is. It sounds so harsh. We should say that the fetus was surgically removed or extracted. It helps us to swallow the pill a little better, doesn't it? Truth cuts like a knife. Thank God that it does, because it cut my heart. Truth cut my heart and changed my way of thinking. Truth cut into my heart and into my life and saved me from damnation and destruction. Truth of God, the truth of God's word, more often than not, will bring conviction. The rest of it that's not bringing conviction is for those of us who have experienced the goodness and the love of God, and it's bringing the comfort and the joy and the love of God unto our hearts. But first, before we can ever get there, it'll bring conviction. And it'll be just like an arrow, piercing our heart. Let me ask you this question. Isn't it incumbent upon us as Christians to seek for a way to put a stop to this terrible practice in our nation? Think about it. Just think about it. Shouldn't that be heavy on our hearts? Shouldn't that be something that we say, man, I'm going to fight this thing wherever I can? You know, you got, you got the rescue movement that came and sat at the door and tried to close some of those clinic, clinics up for the day so that nobody would be killed, at least on that day. And it made a, a loud statement, and it brought, brought the whole thing to the forefront of people's minds once again because they started talking about something that they hadn't talked about in years. And you might not be one of the people who go and sit at a door like that, that might not be what, what you feel God's called you to do, but we can't just sit by and say that God's called us to do nothing about this. Do nothing about it. Just let it go, and it'll take care of itself. One very huge way that we can put a stop to it is at the polls, like I said. That's how it got legalized in the first place. That's how it's going to get illegal, illegal again. It's the only way. The only way. So as Christian people, we, uh, we should be pricked in our hearts and we should, uh, we should say, Lord, I want, I want to do my part in stopping this thing. And so do it at the polls, folks. I encourage you to do it at the polls. And we do this by never, ever voting for anyone, black or white, male or female, Republican or Democrat, who is hell-bent on the destruction of these little children and keeping abortion alive and well in our laws. should never do that as a Christian. Well, Pastor Mike, there's so many other issues. You're, now you're preaching to the choir. When you say that to me, I understand that there's a zillion other issues. But if we don't get this thing right, chances are we're not going to get any of that other stuff right. Because the people who have, made, who have moved away from uh, the fact that a human being is made in the image of God and has intrinsic value to them as a, as a human being, people who have moved away from that thought have now gotten into all kinds of weird concoctions. And common sense has been completely just thrown out the window. So do we have to do something about it? I believe we do. I believe we do. Proverbs 24, verses 10 through 12. Bear with me for a couple more minutes. I'm getting ready to wrap this thing up. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death. If you don't don't do that, if you don't resist that, if you don't stand in the way of those being drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. If you should behold if you say behold, we knew it not. We didn't know that this was going on? Yes, we do. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not the shall not he render to every man according to his works? In other words, when God looks down upon us and he says, you had it in your capacity, you had it in your power, you had it uh, in your energy, you had it in your finances, you had it in your life to do something about it and you chose to do nothing. shall he not render to every man according to his works. Another way we can be effective is to support pro-life organizations. Amen. Such as Right to Life of Michigan, right here in our state, and AAA Pregnancy uh, Resource Center, which we do, which we do. And we're going to receive that offering at the end of the service. Uh, we, we will stand with them. We'll support them. I, I think sometimes when I think about giving, I, I ought to give in, in the way that uh, I realize that I'm lacking in this issue. They're on the front lines. They're doing the thing. They're doing the legwork. Those, the people are, that are running the AAA Crisis Center, most of them, I think maybe one or two of them might get a, a pay or a stipend for, for uh, working there, but I think most of them are all volunteers. They work an 8- to 10-hour job just like the rest of us, and they uh, go in there and they put in time and they spend time talking to people and counseling girls who happened to get their number and showed up for some counseling. And then uh, after the child is born, they give them help as well. So we say in our hearts, man, that's a good thing. We're glad that somebody's out there. I'm not out there doing that one, but somebody's out there doing that, and I'd like to give to that with a a little bit of conviction that I'm not doing all that I ought to be doing for that, and that the least that I can do is to bless them with some finances. And then last but not least is to pray prayers of national repentance. In other words, like Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came before the Lord, when their temple had been destroyed, and then they came back to rebuild the temple again, they prayed unto the Lord, and they prayed prayers like this. Lord God, we have sinned. Our fathers have sinned. We have sinned. We have disobeyed your word. As a nation, they were crying out as a prayer warrior for the nation. And they were right with God at that point in time because they had already turned their hearts back to God and they were rebuilding the temple and and, and wanting to follow after the Lord right away. I'm talking about the leaders that were speaking these prayers. But when they prayed, they didn't exclude themselves. They said, Lord, we as a nation have gone astray. And so we need to pray prayers of repentance in that way. Amen. You, you and I, God, God gave to us the privilege of prayer. He gave to us the duty of prayer. He gave to us the power of prayer. Amen. And he wants us to use that power.